0: everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. So what I want to do, I said open up your Bible to Mark chapter 5 because I want to show you, and a lot of the newer Bibles break the sections of the Gospels down into passages so I want you to see it with your own eyes. We're not gonna read a lot. I'm just gonna walk you through a process of several miracles here. <clears throat> and I've kind of had this going on all week, and So I'm on drugs. So I'll talk twice as fast. This won't make any sense. You won't even know what happened today. It, it's fine. You're gonna wish you had drugs. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, in Mark chapter five, we see Jesus does a miracle. He heals a demon-possessed boy. Then in Mark chapter five, verse 21, there's a local synagogue leader by the name of Jairus Jesus heals his daughter. And then in Mark chapter six, Jesus does a really big miracle. He feeds, the Bible says 5,000 men. We we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but this is really multitude or or big group number one because he does it twice, and you'll see it again here in just a second. So he feeds, we think, up to 18,000 people there that day. Right after that, Jesus sends his disciples in a boat, cross water, and storm comes up, and he actually walks on water to them, Okay. Start chapter seven, and like normally we would jump into seven, but we're gonna kind of skip chapter seven because all of these things are building to what we're gonna talk about today. In chapter seven, he heals a non-Jewish woman. He heals a Syrian Phoenician woman. What's important about that is she's not Jewish, okay? And there's this interesting conversation about like, well, even you know dogs get to eat crumbs that drop off the table and Jesus is like, that's incredible faith, okay? Then he heals a deaf and a mute man in Mark chapter seven, Then to start Mark chapter eight, he feeds another big crowd, another multitude. This is what we call the feeding of the 4,000, all right? Verse 18 of Mark chapter eight, he's talking to his disciples right after this feeding of the multitudes and like, you guys understand what I'm doing? And they're like, no. So he's like, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And You're going to see this morning, you're going to see this theme develop around seeing, hearing, understanding, grasping, connecting the dots. Because this is going to be a big defining moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. So after he says this in Mark chapter 8, he heals a blind man. And we're going to unpack this story just a little bit to get to the bigger story of where we're at. Jesus heals a blind man. So I want to look at that story in Mark chapter 8, Verse 23. Says Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, then <clears throat> spitting in the man's eyes, okay, he laid hands on him and said, Can you see anything now? And the man looked around and he said, Well, yes, I can see people, but I don't see them real clearly. Pay attention to what's going on. They, they look like trees walking around. Verse 25, then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. And his eyes were opened, his sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. That's the point of what starts to take place in Mark chapter 5, all the way up through where we're going here in Mark chapter 8, is seeing everything clearly. Okay? Of the 37 recorded miracles that Jesus did, this is the only one where he kind of had to give another go at it. You know what I'm saying? But verse 25 said, place his hands on the man's eyes again. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and it's not, I don't think it's because he didn't do it right the first time. I don't think it's because Jesus didn't put enough, oof, enough power into it the first time. I think he has a message for everybody that's standing around watching this. He wants them to self-discover something. He wants them to see everything clearly, all right? There were times that Jesus would just lay hands on people, boom, instantly healed. there would be other times that somebody would come and say, Jesus, my child, or Jesus, my servant, or whatever, and he'd say, okay, well, you can go home. I'm taking care of that. Like, he didn't even have to be there. He didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to do anything. He just said, okay, well, you you can go. So the context of the supernatural healing power that Jesus had, this this is kind of a unique situation because he touched him, and then then he had to do it again. Oh, let me me, me try it one more time. This, This is not the case of oops. Jesus needs just a little more power. Something intentional is going on that I think you and I want to see. Like, I can tell you something, and, and maybe you catch it, maybe you get Like, you can tell your kids something, but until they really learn that lesson for themselves is when it really, really, really sticks. I can tell you something, but, but if you get it for yourself, or if the bulb comes on, or if you... Think about it over and over and over, and, and, and like maybe wake up in the middle of the night, boom, and the light bulb's on. You solve the equation. You fix the puzzle for yourself. Now that's when you really get it. That's what's going to happen here. Jesus has been telling them, been telling them, been telling them, but a light bulb is gonna come on, and they're gonna see things clearly, all right? What Jesus is doing with this blind man, this is what I want you to see. This is an outward illustration. It's, <coughs> it's an outward example of what's going on inside of Jesus' followers and the disciples. Like it's a physical illustration for them, okay? All right, so I want you to, we're gonna look at Mark chapter eight, verse 17. And the story of Jesus healing the blind man begins in verse 22. So we're gonna back up just before that and we're we're gonna look at some things. We've already looked at one of these verses. So we're gonna back up. We're taking a running start into this, right? This is before Jesus healed the blind man. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or don't you even understand yet? Are your hearts so hard that you can't take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets were leftovers you picked up? Uh, 12, they said. Well, when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets and leftovers did you pick up? Don't you understand anything yet He asked them So Jesus is talking to them Like the answer is obvious And he's treating them like they're a bunch of idiots For not figuring it out Now I'm going to be honest with you Like I live in 2023 There are study tools on the interwebs And commentaries and books that are accessible When I read this I have no clue what Jesus is talking about What what is 12 baskets of leftover I don't know I don't know And Jesus is asking them, do you see it yet? Um, Yet, um, no, no, I have, Jesus, I, I have no idea. I got no idea what's going on. And the very next thing he does, after he has this conversation, don't you get it, don't you see it? The very next thing he does is he heals this man and he heals him and he kind of sees, do you see yet? Nope. And he heals him completely. There's two sets of eyes. He was healing this man's physical eyes Jesus was also trying to reveal something to the spiritual eyes for the disciples so they could see something spiritually that they were missing, okay? And what's going to happen next is a tipping point in the gospel. So the gospel of Mark is 16 chapters long. It's the shortest. It's 16 chapters long. And we're now to the halfway point. And this is a hinge. Everything's been building, 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 right up to here, and from, from Mark 8 to Mark or from Mark 5 to Mark 8, it's miracle, 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 miracle. a couple of other stories sprinkled in a lot of miracles. And then this defining moment that we're going to look at takes place. And this is it, it's, it literally it's just a, it's a tipping point in the story of the gospel. Something that Mark doesn't catch that Luke mentions is found in Luke chapter 9. okay? So they're parallel. Mark chapter 8 is equal to Luke chapter 9. And there's timeline. the stories are relatively the same. But Luke chapter nine gives a detail that Mark doesn't give that I think's important to this conversation. It's important to the hinge because now everything's gonna swing and move in a different direction. Luke chapter nine, verse 51, <clears throat> it says, as the time drew, new, drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And what was waiting for him in Jerusalem? Cross. Like something shifted. Now Jesus was focused on healing people and ministering to people, and moved with compassion and, 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 and like trying to teach the disciples and teach the disciples. But Luke chapter 9, verse 51 tells us from that moment on, Jesus was, he was devoted, resolutely, set his face towards Jerusalem and the cross that was before him. Luke chapter 9 is equivalent to Mark chapter 8. Mark just doesn't capture this, but Luke does. To understand what's going on to see it, to, to, to get it, to, to really grasp what's going on. I'll be honest with you, it'd have been better if we could have been there. Anybody ever tell you a story that they think is hilarious and they're just laughing, and they're just laughing and you're looking at them like, and then they say this, oh, you just should have been there. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like it, sometimes, like it was hilarious to you, <coughs> but you just should have been there, okay? Um, I would say the same thing about Middle East in 30 AD when Jesus was there. They they knew things, they could smell things, they saw things. There was a cultural understanding that you and I don't have. For example, those of us that are really cool and grew up in the 70s and the 80s, we understand some things that these high school seniors don't understand. Can I get an amen? Let me show you some of those things. If you got hair like this, you need to call your doctor and schedule your colonoscopy, all right? Like, I graduated in '93, and this is, uh huh. Let's do Yeah. Anybody remember that bad boy? Shh, shh. how you used to process a credit card. Kids are like, where do I put the card in? Go to the next one. Yeah. You've heard about Legos on the floor. You ever step one of those? Wait till you meet a jack in the middle of the night. Holy Moses. This is back when radios were cool. Can I get an amen? They used to play music on AM. Come on, somebody. Ever pull a soda out of one of these machines? Yep, our Western Auto store, we had one of those. It was like 25 cents, and you just pulled the pop right. It was awesome. It was cool. Yep, anybody know what that is? Uh, Anybody have a car that still has one of those? All right. My Jeep's got that. We don't use it. Somebody ever watch a movie with this bad boy? Come on. Kids are like, what is that out in the middle of the pasture? Who had one of these? Come on. I had this picture up, plus my daughter, like, oh, my God, what is that? I'm like, that is the coolest toy ever. Like my matchbox and throw down on that bad boy? Uh Uh-huh. Come on, where's all my Atari people up in the house? Yeah. Yeah. If you had these cool things, we understand some things that kids today don't understand. Can I get an amen? The same thing is true about Israel in 30 AD. The people that were standing there listening to Jesus, watching him, hearing the rumors about him. They understood some things that we don't understand. And this is why reading the Bible sometimes is so complicated because there is context they know that we don't know, that we can't understand living in America in 2023. Like kids these days will never understand what it was like to have a television set without a remote control. I was the remote control. And you just stood there waiting to see if dad actually wanted to watch that show or not. I'm pretty sure if that was today, dad would be standing by the TV letting the four-year-old pick the show, right? In Mark chapter eight, the people that were there understood things that we don't understand. And until, today, until studying this out, there were things in this passage that I'd never seen before. And I wanna just take a few minutes to just share with them. One of them is for over 500 years, the people of Israel had not governed themselves. They had been a conquered people. They were not free people. And there was a cultural expectation among the people of Israel that God was gonna do what he always had done, what he had done in the book of Judges. Like they would, they would be conquered by a people. Like their neighbors would come in and defeat them and for 40 years or 70 years, they would live as an oppressed people. And then God would raise up somebody. That's where we get the stories of Gideon. That's where we get the stories of Samson. That's where we get the story of Deborah, the first woman leader in the Bible. And God would raise up a leader and help the people of Israel be set free. They were expecting God to do this, that he would send an anointed one to set them free from the oppression of Rome. And just like you and I, that we look at these old images, you can hear the sounds, you can smell the smells. We instantly understand it connects to us. The same would be for their culture there, right? In their culture, they were looking and longing and expecting God to bring up an anointed one to set them free. But they weren't just looking for one Messiah. They were looking for two messiahs. Yeah, because in Christianity, we don't talk about that. But the Jewish people of that day were actually looking not for one, but for two. There were some sects of the Jewish religion that were looking for four. And the word translates to craftsmen. They were looking for four different leaders that would come and do four different things. But I wanna talk about the two messiahs that they were waiting on. The first one would have been Messiah ben Joseph. And ben means son of, okay? What's interesting, what was Jesus' adopted father's name? Joseph. They were thinking Joseph of, you know, the grandson of Abraham. But Messiah ben Joseph would be known as the suffering Messiah. He would be prophesied by Isaiah and Isaiah 42, 43, 50, 52, Isaiah 53. Let me read you just a couple of verses about the suffering Messiah, Messiah ben Joseph. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He thought his troubles were a punishment from God and a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. He left God's path to follow, we left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him. Who's him? The Messiah, the sins of us all. This is Messiah ben Joseph, the suffering Messiah that they were waiting for. The other Messiah would be Messiah ben David, or Messiah son of David. And David was the king. And so they were waiting for a Messiah king that would some like David and establish a a kingdom, and they would become a superpower again. I call him the soldier Messiah. You have the suffering Messiah, but here you have the soldier Messiah. And he was prophesied in Psalm 2, in Psalm 72, in Daniel 7, in Zechariah chapter 9. This is what Daniel said about him. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man. It's interesting because Jesus would refer to himself as the Son of Man. Coming with clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one, Who was led into his presence, he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. That soldier Messiah that would come and establish a powerful kingdom. Now, Jesus will do this at the end of times. We believe that, but that's not what he came to do the first time. And the reason why the religious did not accept Jesus, one of the reasons why they were looking for this guy, but instead, they got a baby. Instead, they got a suffering Messiah. It didn't look like they thought it would look. The title of this message is, It's Not What You Think. It's not what you think. It's not always what you think. A good person that lived in 30 AD, in the time of Jesus, is expecting a Messiah to liberate them. They're expecting soldier Messiah to free them from Rome. Rome was cruel. Their taxes were heavy. They were looking for a soldier to lead them into battle. And what they got was a suffering Messiah. And Jesus was telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them and showing them and showing them. And so here he has this moment where he, he has physical, can you see, well, yeah, yeah, kind of, can you see clearly everything now? Yes. It's so interesting the way that Mark tells these stories in order. You guys have eyes, you can see, can't you? You have ears, can't you? Don't you understand? No, boom, heals this guy. Can you see? Well, yeah, kind of, sort of, boom. Now can you see? Yes, everything clearly, boom. And then the very next thing that happens is disciples can now spiritually see clearly. He was telling them, do you see? No. Where's the soldiers? Jesus, when you become the king, can I be one of your cabinet? Can I be one of the generals in your army, Jesus? This is not how this goes. Matter of fact, John chapter six says, there was a crowd that wanted to force Jesus to be their king. They were looking for soldier Messiah. He came as the suffering Messiah. So I want you to watch how this flows. Mark chapter eight, verse 25. and, And literally, it's one thread. It's one story from, you guys have eyes, don't you? Yep. The guy's healed. And then he moves right into this next thing. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes and again they were opened. His sight was completely restored. He could see everything clearly. That's verse 25. Verse 26, he sent him away. Don't go back in the village. Verse 27, Jesus' disciples left Galilee and went up to the village near Caesarea Philippi as they were walking along. They just left. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. But then Jesus asked, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, also known as Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Messiah. If you're still with me, say amen. Matthew's gospel gives a detail that Mark doesn't. Just like Luke did, Matthew gives a detail that Mark doesn't. Matthew goes on and explains that this is the moment that Jesus actually changed Simon's name from Simon to Simon Peter, okay, okay? Like, Peter says, well, I think you're the Messiah, and Jesus goes, you know what? You didn't, you didn't get that on your own. God revealed that deep into your soul. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you, and this ability for humans to hear from God through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what's gonna build the church. That's what's going to build the kingdom, okay? Upon people's ability to let the Holy Spirit lead them, that's what the church is gonna be built upon. So there's, there's three big ideas to take away from it, and especially graduates, listen. I want you to see life clearly. And these three things are huge. Number one, be careful what you listen to. I I mean, yeah, rap music, but I'm I'm just, be careful what voices you listen to. Jesus said, who did they say that I am? What are you hearing? What's the crowd thinking of me? And Jesus was not worried about the crowd's Opinion. He wasn't worried about what people are saying about it. He was more concerned about the disciples clearly being able to see. But he says, what, what, what are you hearing? Be careful, because the crowd was wrong. This is what the crowd said. Well, some think you're John the Baptist. Well, that's funny, because Jesus was doing ministry while John was doing ministry. Some think you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. Are any of those correct? No, those are all wrong, but that's what the crowd was saying. Sometimes the crowd has it wrong. Even today, the world is confused about who Jesus is. Who do you say he is? Well, some say he's a founder of religion. Some say, you know, he taught in a new way that gathered everyone's interest. Some say, well, he, he was a prophet. Some say he was a miracle worker. Others would say, well, I don't, I don't even really know. What you think about Jesus does not need to come from some dude that can graft a gotcha statement on TikTok or YouTube. What we believe about Jesus what we believe about this life could, should come from the black and white and red letters that we read in the word of God. It doesn't need to come from some person who thinks he's crafted some gotcha statement or he's debunked some of the issues in the Bible. What we believe should come from the word of God and the preaching of the word of God. So be careful what you listen to. Secondly, be careful with your own expectations. And This, this, is, this is where Christians get a little This is is where things can get tough. This is where theology can get crazy. But be careful with your expectations. Jesus didn't look like they expected him to look. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a soldier, and he came as a suffering Messiah. Now, he'll come back as the soldiering Messiah, but this time he came as a sweet little baby in swaddling clothes. They almost missed him because he did not meet their expectations. There's a rather interesting story or theory about Judas Iscariot. So Judas is not a, when you say the word Judas, he's kinda like ooh, you know. Judas betrayed Jesus and there's an interesting theory as to why that is, okay? The Bible does not define, the Bible says that he was an instrument of Satan. The Bible says that Satan entered him. And that's why he betrayed Jesus, but there's some interesting theories of what happened and so the theory goes that Judas was trying to force the hand of Jesus. Judas was expecting Jesus to be soldier Messiah, that Jesus would amass an army, and that if the Romans kind of pressured Jesus, or if the Romans arrested him, then Jesus would have no choice. The people would rally to his cause. Jesus would finally step up and become the soldier Messiah they thought he would be, and the wrong expectation about Jesus caused Judas to betray him. Be careful with your expectations about Jesus because it might cause you to do something that ain't right. Jesus did not meet the expectation of his disciples. Was it because he was not able? No. It's because they had the wrong expectation. He was able to amass an army. He will amass an army. It's just not time yet. There was a bigger picture to be seen. Jesus was more concerned about all of history's salvation instead of one generation of Jews that are under Roman oppression. They had the wrong expectation of Jesus. So be careful with your expectations about Jesus. He's not just a genie in the bottle. that if you say the right words, do the right thing, you can earn your answer to a prayer. He's not like Papa or or Santa Claus. He's the creator, he's the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Does, Does God get all mad and angry at me when I sin? no. He sent his son Jesus to die because of that sin. Now, does he just overlook my sin and let me do whatever with whoever, however I want? Absolutely not. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit to fill you, to help you grow, to help you overcome the power of sin and temptation. He he don't want you to just be stuck in your sin. He wants to help you out. His grace is amazing, but his resurrecting power to change you is even greater. Somebody ought to say amen. Number three, let God define you. Young people, listen. Let God define you, not the crowd, not social media. Let God define you. Mark doesn't tell this part of the story, Matthew does. Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You didn't get this from the crowd. You didn't figure this out on your own. The Spirit of the living God spoke this deep in your soul that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Spirit of God is still doing that today. It is God who sets the identity of men and women. It is God that sets the plans and the destiny for you and for your kids and for your grandkids and for your family. The world will say, that's weird. The world will say, that's judgy. The world will say, that's not enough. But the Spirit of the living God says, I formed you when you were in your mother's womb. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my person, as my prophet to the nations." The Spirit of God knows the plans that he has for you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster they are to give you a future and a hope. God is a God of hope, and somebody ought to say amen. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, regardless of what the world says, regardless of what the crowd says. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows that very well. So when the world says you are not enough, you know what the Spirit of God says? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Do not let the world define you don't let your failure don't let your addiction don't let your temptation don't let your doubt don't let your struggle don't let your hard times don't let your depression do not let that define you because god has his definition for you god sees things that we cannot see it's not what it looks like what we might think is failure but it's not what it looks We might think it's over, but it's not what it looks like. You might feel like everything you touch dies. It's not what it looks like. You might think that God has abandoned you and God has forgotten you. It's not what it looks like. You might think that everyone else in life has it easier. Let me tell you, it is not what it looks like. They thought Jesus was a failed soldier Messiah because he was nailed to a cross. And I'm telling you, my friends, it was not what it looked like. God wants to do greater things than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say is? Oh, probably just a spiritual figure I need to do something with. He's, he's somebody that he, he forgives some people, but he probably won't forgive me. Here's the gospel that all, all of us made mistakes, had sin in our life, We've fallen. And while you were stuck and dead, there was nothing you could do while you were stuck in that sin. God sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, I'll go. I'll go be a suffering Messiah. I'll go shed my blood. They nailed him to a cross and and blood dripped from his hands from his feet. They pierced his side with a spear. Blood gushed out of his side. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it really is Lord, and you'll believe in your heart, God supernaturally raised him from the dead. Jesus was the only one that didn't have to be called out of the grave. Everybody else in the Bible that was resurrected, somebody did that. Not Jesus. And it was proof that... The the spirit of the living God was in him. That's with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God supernaturally, miraculously raised him from the dead, making him equal with God. You will, not shall, not might, not maybe, not can. You will be. Who do you say Jesus is? I don't wanna embarrass you, I'm not gonna ask you to walk an aisle. I just wanna give you an opportunity this morning to Confess and believe. It's not a magic chant, not magic words. I just wanna lead you in a prayer of simple surrender. Give your life to Jesus. All across this room, nobody moving around, nobody get up, don't put your stuff away. Just just let the Holy Spirit work for just a minute. But every head bowed, every eye closed, there may be somebody right by you that their eternity is in the balance. And if that's you today, I want you just to pray this prayer with me right there at your seat. You ready? You know you need this. Just, just just, say, dear Heavenly Father. Right there, just, dear Heavenly Father. I'll come to you today because I need you. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm a sinner. And I don't want that anymore. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life you begin to change me. May not understand all of this, but I'm taking a step of faith. And today, Jesus, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Every head's still bowed, every eye's still closed. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or talk to anybody. I just want to pray for you. We had several last service tonight. I believe there's somebody here. you know. Right there in that moment, you prayed that prayer with me. Just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. It's just me. Slip it up real high. Anybody here today? Slip it up. Don't miss this moment. Here to the living God, we pray for hundreds of people give their life to Christ. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see what you're doing. Give us eyes to see with eyes of faith. God, I pray today. We celebrate these seniors and people graduating. Father, I pray your blessing upon them. Lord, may we always be home. May this always be a place where they can come home and be refreshed and get a hug. Father, I pray they grow and come back and just be a part of the body. Father, they're already a part, but just, Lord, raise the kids here. Raise their family here. Be a part of who you've called us to. be. Let your words speak to us today. I believe a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says. Amen. Come on, give Jesus some praise this morning. Amen, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.